understanding. You folks are incredibly friendly. The music has been soul-stirring, and I'm so grateful for the attentiveness that you had this morning as we preached the Word. Looking forward to tonight, and of course, Monday night and Tuesday night. I want to encourage you to be back and be in your place on those evenings as well. Uh, My family's back in Texas. I'm married. Uh, My wife, Tori, and I have been married for 16 years. We have two children, Will and Anna, 13 and 11. Will, unfortunately, looks a lot like his daddy. Freckle face, pasty skin, red hair, a little bit on the tall side. Thank goodness my daughter looks a whole lot like her mother, and that works out for everybody. And I look forward to going back to the hotel room tonight and calling them and telling them what a wonderful day we've had in the Lord today. Thank you, Pastor Farmer. Thank you, staff, for all that you've done to make me feel welcome. And thank you again, church, for the love that you have poured out on me today. I have enjoyed it immensely. Let me ask you, have you ever had a really bad day? Uh, And I mean a really, really bad day. My worst date by far was my first date. I was uh, about 13 years old. My parents were first-generation Christians, so they didn't know that 13-year-olds shouldn't date. They figured that out very quickly, okay? I was 13 years old. I had gone on a mission trip with our church down to Mexico, and while I was there, I had fallen in love with a young lady on the trip. Her name was Risa. So we became boyfriend and girlfriend on the mission trip, and we came back and decided that we'd like to go somewhere as a dating couple. So on a Sunday afternoon, in between church services, we went to the St. Anne's County Fair. It was in the middle of August in West Texas. My parents wouldn't let me go on a single date. They did have that much sense, so we went with a double. My friend Jeremy and his girlfriend came, and Jeremy just so happened to invite a fifth wheel, his friend whose name was Wade. And I'm just going to tell you right now, Wade's the bad guy in this particular story. Well, we get to the St. Anne's County Fair, and it's about 105 degrees outside that day. We get there, and I decide I have two corn dogs and a big soda right away. As we walk into the fair, uh, my girlfriend, Risa, sees a ride, a round-and-round ride that she would really like to ride. Um, It was called the Whirler. And I want you to picture in your mind an inverted flying saucer. And the idea of this ride is that it spins round and round and round. You go inside it and it sucks you up against the back wall with centrifugal force because doesn't that sound like a whole lot of fun? Well, I have never been able to do round and round rides in my entire life. So Risa said, I'd really like to ride that ride. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't ride it. Well, from the moment that Wade had arrived, he had been eyeing my girlfriend. And he said, I'll ride it with you, Risa. So my little 13-year-old brain is going through all the scenarios, of course. I could just see them going in there as nothing but friends, coming out, holding hands, boyfriend and girlfriend. And there was no way I was going to let Wade ride that ride with my girlfriend. So I said, I'm riding it. So I'll never forget, we walked in there. The inside was air-conditioned. That was comforting. And it started spinning slowly at first, but then it really started whirling. When the ride stopped about two minutes later, my stomach did not stop. I was proud of myself for holding it all together. But as soon as they opened the front door and that hot West Texas air hit my face, I got sick, violently sick, all over my brand-new girlfriend, all over her feet. And she was wearing flip-flops that day. Well, you know the rest of the story. 30 minutes later, I was single. 30 minutes after that, she was with Wade. And that was my first date. It's amazing I'm married today, okay? Now, that was a really, really bad date. And I challenge you to top it. But let me tell you, there are two characters in the Bible who had an even worse date. Jacob and Leah. And it just so happened to be their wedding day. Let's read about it in Genesis chapter 29. We'll begin our reading in verse 15. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? 
Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah his maid for an handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service, which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so, and fulfilled her week. And he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel his daughter Bilhah, his handmaid, to be her maid. And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. I want to ask you two questions tonight. First of all, do you really believe that in spite of your flaws and imperfections, that God loves you? Do you really believe that? And do you believe that in spite of your flaws and perfections, that God can use you and He has a plan for your life? Tonight we're going to meet a lady who thought that nobody loved her, much less God. And she would have thought it impossible that God could use her to do something great. I've entitled the message tonight, The Beautiful Story of the Ugly Sister. Now before we get into it, I need to give you two pieces of background information. First of all, Jacob is the chosen son in the chosen family. It's important you understand that. It all started with Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. God came to him one day and made a covenant with him and said, in every generation of your family, there is going to be one chosen son until one day the chosen son comes, the savior of the world through whom I will bless all nations. And Jacob was the chosen son, though he was the younger son, he was the chosen son in that particular generation of his family. Number two, though Jacob is the chosen son, he does not act like the chosen son. If you remember, his name means deceiver, supplanter, hill grabber. And boy, does he live up to that name. In fact, the only reason he's with his uncle Laban in Genesis chapter 29 is because he tricked his blind dad and his brothers trying to kill him. You think you've got family drama. Jacob and his family had it. Well, after Jacob went to live with Laban and he's been around a little while, Laban approaches him in verse 15. He says, it's really not fair that you're working for free. What do you want? Jacob didn't hesitate. He had been eyeing Rachel from the day that he got there. He said, give me your younger daughter, Rachel. She's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Laban said, if you're going to do that, it's going to cost you seven years. And he said, I'll gladly do it. And the Bible says it seemed to him but a few days. Now, the focus on this passage is usually on Jacob's love for Rachel. But the story that has arrested my attention tonight is Leah, the ugly sister. She went through some incredibly difficult things in her life. But in spite of her flaws and the difficult things that happened to her, God gave her a beautiful story and used her in an extraordinary way. The beautiful story of the ugly sister 
teaches us three truths about ourselves and three truths about God. And we'll do these quickly tonight. Number one, the first truth she teaches us about ourselves is that we are inadequate in many ways. We are inadequate in many ways. Verse 17 says, Leah was tender eye, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. Now, how many of you Bible students understand that the Bible is not just making a statement about Leah's eyesight? She probably had some kind of physical deformity, maybe something that affected her eyes. But if it was just about her eyesight, here's how the verse would read. Rachel was, or Leah was tender eye, but Rachel had 2020. That's not how it reads. Leah was tender eye, but Rachel was beautiful and well favored. Can I give you a loose translation? Leah was ugly. In fact, one commentator said that an alternate meaning of Leah's name in Hebrew means cow. And I don't care what culture you're in, calling a young lady a cow is never a compliment, is it? Now, put yourself in Leah's place for a moment. I want you to imagine being a young lady with a physical deformity on your face and living with that every day of your life. Every day, Leah struggled with feelings of inadequacy. Every day, she felt ugly. And to make matters worse, her younger sister, Rachel, was beautiful. She was born a knockout, a real 10. And I would imagine that every time Rachel walked into the room, people praised her for her beauty, and Leah, again, felt ugly. Wouldn't you imagine that Leah had a conversation with God many times, a lot like this? God, why did you make me this way? Why can't I look like my sister? Why does everybody love her, and why does everyone hate me? Why did I have to be the ugly one? Now listen, folks, in at least one area of our lives, we are all the ugly sister. We're all either too fat or too skinny, too tall or too short, too smart or too dumb. Maybe we have too much baggage in our past, or we grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, or we didn't grow up in a Christian home. And all of us go through life thinking, I wish I had his money, or her looks, or that person's education, or I wish I could have grown up in that kind of home. The truth of the matter tonight, if we're being honest, is that we all feel inadequate in at least one area of our life. Isn't that true? And our physical inadequacies, our financial inadequacies, our social inadequacies, all point to a much bigger inadequacy, a spiritual inadequacy. We all possess the knowledge that there's a holy God and we have fallen far short of His standard for our lives. And we are all spiritually inadequate. In at least one way, we are all the ugly sister. Number two, not only are we inadequate in many ways, but we are hurt in many ways. After working for his uncle Laban for seven years, Jacob comes to Laban and he says, my seven years are over, give me my wife. Now in those days, they had a week-long wedding feast and the wedding ceremony actually happened in the evening. I don't know exactly how this went. Maybe it was dark when the feast happened. I know that the ladies in those culture wore veils, so maybe it was hard for Jacob to tell exactly who was behind that veil. But we know that somehow Jacob and Leah were married and he did not know that it was Leah. As Jacob goes into his tent, I want you to imagine. He says, I finally have my Rachel. I finally have the one I've been working for for seven years. I finally have the thing that will make my life complete. And the next morning, sunlight comes streaming into his tent. He rolls over to look at his brand new wife. And I love the way the Bible says it. And behold, it was Leah. 
And you have never seen a man emerge from a tent so quickly. He went right to his uncle Laban's tent and he says, you low down, dirty, crossing dog. I was supposed to get the pretty sister and you stumped me with the ugly one. Isn't it interesting the deceiver's been deceived? We always reap what we sow. Laban comes up with some fine print in the contract. We don't give the younger daughter without first giving the older daughter. And he says, I want you to do this. I want you to fulfill her week. Now, a lot of people think that Jacob married Rachel after working for her for seven more years, but that's actually not what the Bible says. It says that all that Jacob had to do was fulfill the wedding feast of Leah, and then immediately Jacob and Rachel were married. Now, I want you to imagine the disappointment and anger of working for someone seven years only to get the ugly sister. And then imagine you're Leah. All your life you've grown up in your pretty sister's shadow. You wondered if anyone loved you. Now you think you finally have someone who wants you. You finally have someone that loves you. Only to find out on the morning after your wedding night that your dad had to trick him into marrying you in the first place. Folks, I can't think of anything in life that would be more painful than that. And perhaps Leah thought, If my own father and my own husband don't love me, who could? Now, here's the point. We are all like Jacob and we are all like Leah. Like Jacob, we think, if I could just get that job or make that amount of money, or if I could just get that number of followers on social media, then my life would be complete. Or like Leah, if only so-and-so would love me. If only I could get the approval of that parent or that coach, or maybe even that preacher, then I wouldn't be ugly anymore. Then I wouldn't be Leah. Then I would be Rachel. But no matter what person or thing we put our hopes in, behold, in the morning, it is always Leah. It will always disappoint us. So number one, we are inadequate in many ways. Number two, we're hurt in many ways. Number three, we look for acceptance in many places. And I think verses 31 through 34 are some of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. And I want you to read them. Look there at verse 31. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. And by the way, hated by who? Hated by her husband. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son. And she called his name Reuben. For she said, surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, because the Lord hath heard that I had hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. Do you see what's happening here? The Bible says that in an act of mercy, God closed the womb of Rachel, the pretty sister, and he opened the womb of Leah, the ugly sister. The only way that Jacob would pay Leah any attention at all was if Rachel couldn't have children. In those days, women tied their entire identity into bringing four children, and especially bringing four sons. And I'm not saying that's right, but that's how it was in the time of Jacob. And so I imagine that Leah would have been overjoyed when she found out that she was expecting and how happy she must have been on the day of the birth of her first child. And when they brought forth her son, she called his name Reuben. It literally means see. And you could almost picture her in your mind holding up that boy to Jacob and saying, see, I've given you a son. Now won't you love me? Love me instead of my sister. But apparently it did not work. Because the next time Leah has a child, she calls his name Simeon. It literally means 
heard, H-E-A-R-D. The Lord hath heard that I was hated. He hath heard about my affliction. She gets her optimism back by the time the third child comes about, and she calls his name Levi, which means joined. And you can almost hear the desperation in her voice. This time, my husband will be joined to me. He'll forget my sister, and he'll love me. Folks, do you see what's happening in these verses? Every time Leah has a child, she is hoping that by having a child, she will earn her husband's love and acceptance. Because we know that we are inadequate, because we know we're not enough, we go through life trying to prove ourselves to people and trying even to prove ourselves to God. If I, many of us are thinking, if I could just find a spouse or have a child or get to a certain standard of living, then I won't be Leah anymore. Then I will be Rachel. You say, Brother Jillette, where have you looked for that love and acceptance in your life? And I'm just being totally transparent with you tonight. I've always looked for that in ministry. It is easy in ministry to get addicted to the praise of other people. And it's easy for me to rise and fall on every Sunday with every altar call or every person that comes by to tell me what a great message it was or they don't tell me what a great message it was. And I remember when I first got in ministry, I was a youth director at our church. And I thought if I could ever get our youth group up to 100 people, then I'll be somebody. And then I'll be happy. And we worked for a couple of years and we got our youth department up to 100 100 people. And the day after we had 100, I felt just as empty as I did the night before. Then I said, well, I need to start something from scratch, something that has my fingerprints on it. So we started an addictions recovery ministry in our church with just a handful of people the first few years. And we worked and we worked and we worked like dogs. And I thought, if I could ever get this up to 100 people, then I'll be really happy. And we got 100 people on one big Friday night, and the next day I felt just as empty as I did the day before. And I thought the problem was my position. I thought the problem was my job. So you know, the issue is that I'm just a youth pastor. Low man on the totem pole, second man in command. And if I could ever be the senior pastor, then I'd be somebody. And I became the senior pastor of our church. And there was a profound sense of emptiness that washed over my soul the next day. Here's what I've learned. Ministry is a wonderful way to spend a life, but it is a terrible God. And I'm going to tell you something I wish someone would have told me 10 years ago. Are you ready? God's pleasure in you is not based on your performance for Him. I want to say that again. God's pleasure in you is not based in your performance for Him. There are a lot of people even serving in the church and very busy in the things of God, thinking that somehow you are earning God's love or God's forgiveness or God's approval by the things that you do or trying to earn the love and approval of someone else in the church. God's pleasure in you is not based on your performance for Him. God's pleasure in you is based in Christ's performance for you. Ladies and gentlemen, you are accepted in the Beloved. You've been adopted into the family. You are a son or daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There's no higher position a person can have than the position you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. If who you are in Christ is not enough for you now, it won't be enough when you make more money, when you get to live in that big house, when you get that promotion, when you get to retire, it won't ever be enough. Many years ago when Tom Brady was a quarterback for the New England Patriots, he sat down with 60 Minutes for a wide-ranging interview. During the interview, he just kind of asked the, the person asking the question. He was kind of going off the cuff. He said to the journalist, why do I have three Super Bowl rings? and think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. 
I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. And the interview just shook his head like, if you can't be happy, who can? You're married to a supermodel. You've made millions. You're the greatest of all time. Brady, the interviewer asked him, so what's the answer? And Brady said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. We are all inadequate in many ways. We have been hurt in many ways. And because of that, we look for love and approval in many places. And by virtue of our sin nature, we look in all the wrong places. And that's where Leah was in Genesis chapter 29. Now, if that's all to the story there is, this isn't a beautiful story at all, is it? It's an ugly story about the ugly sister. But I'm glad there's another character in this story that we haven't talked too much about. Not Jacob, not Laban, not Leah, but the Lord. And He's the one who's going to take her ugly story and turn it into something beautiful. So very quickly tonight, I want you to notice three truths we learn about our God. Three truths we learn about God. Number one, God is attracted to broken people. Look at verse 31. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. I love that. Everyone wanted to look away from Leah except the Lord. He looked at her brokenness. The Bible says the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and save as such as be of a contrite spirit. There is something wonderful about the character of our God that causes Him to be attracted to broken people. He's attracted to it. You know, religion says, clean yourself up and God will love you. But the Gospel says just the opposite. The Gospel said, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, He opened up her womb. Don't miss this. God wasn't looking for a beautiful thing. He wasn't looking for a strong thing. He wasn't looking for a wanted thing. He was looking for a weak thing. He was looking for a hated thing. He was looking for a broken thing. Because when he worked in Leah's life, there would be no doubt who had done the work and there would be no doubt as to who should get the glory. And I want to tell you tonight, the same is true today. God isn't always looking for a rich person. He isn't always looking for the kid who grew up in a Christian home or went to Christian school. He isn't always looking for the gifted person or the popular person. Sometimes he looks for the weak person, the poor person, the broken person. And I'm here to tell you tonight, if you've ever thought, I'm too dumb for God to use, I'm too ugly for God to use, I'm too poor for God to use, my past is too much of a wreck for God to use, you are exactly who God wants to use. He's attracted to broken people. Your brokenness does not repel him. It attracts him. And God is attracted to broken people like Lee. And if you have some broken places in your life tonight, He's attracted to the brokenness in you. So number one, our God is attracted to broken people. Number two, God transforms broken people into beautiful people. He transforms broken people into beautiful people. Now think about it with me. Leah's brokenness was never more on display than when she has these children. It was a desperate attempt on her part to earn love and acceptance from her husband. You could tell it's what she was living for. It was the idol of her heart. But I want you to read with me. Look at verse 35. It says, And she conceived again and bare a son. And she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. And notice this last phrase, And left bearing. She left bearing. 
Somewhere in the middle of all this pain and brokenness in Leah's life, something incredible happened to her. She began to call on the name of the Lord. And the word Lord in verse 35 is in all caps in your Bible. You could say it Yahweh, you could say it Jehovah, however you want to say it. The important thing is that it is the covenant name for God. It's a name that someone uses when they are in a relationship with God. It is the family name of God. And somewhere in the midst of having all these children and all of her brokenness and difficulty in life, Leah developed a personal relationship with the Lord. And when it comes to verse 35, she has this son. She names him Judah, which means praise. And then it says she left off bearing. What does that mean, Pastor? It means that she no longer needs the love and approval of her husband. Sure, she wants him to love her, but she doesn't need it because she has found someone whose love and approval is infinitely more important to her than Jacob's. She has found the Lord. And ladies and gentlemen, when you understand that you have the unconditional love and acceptance of the God of the universe, then what will it matter to you if one in seven billion people don't like you? And here is Leah, ugly and broken and with so much pain and bondage in her past. And now she has been transformed into this confident, uh, loving, joyful, praising person because of a relationship with God that changed everything. She left off bearing. Can I remind you of something tonight? God does not love you because you are valuable. You are valuable because he loves you. Let me say it this way. God does not love you because you're beautiful. You're beautiful because He loves you. And when we realize who we are, yes, a broken thing, but a thing that is immensely loved by God, it transforms us into strong, confident people that can change the world for Christ. And that's what's going to happen with Leah. So number one, God is attracted to broken people. Number two, God takes broken people and makes them beautiful people. Number three, God uses broken people to change the world. Now, going all the way back to the introduction of the message, remember the first thing I told you? Jacob is the chosen son in the chosen family. And in every generation in his family, there will be a chosen son until one day the chosen son, the Lord Jesus, comes. Now, if you know the story, Rachel is going to go on and have some children, and there'll be some other children. There'll be 12 children in all in this family by the time it's all said and done. But does anybody know which child became the ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ? He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it has always been meaningful to me that when God was going to pick a child to change the world like Judah would, he did not pick the child of the beautiful sister. He picked the child of the ugly sister. This reminds me tonight that God delights in using weak and ordinary people in extraordinary ways so he will get the glory. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For you see your calling, brethren, How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Heard the story about a pastor who was preaching in a very large conference. Had thousands of other pastors in the room and their wives there. And he was preaching along these lines and he began to ask some questions to the people in the auditorium. He said, I'd like to ask you, how many of you were a who's who in your high school? And if you were a who's who, I'd like for you to stand. And a few people around the auditorium stood to their feet. And he said, I'd like to know how many of you guys were the captain of the football team. And a few more stood. 
How many of you ladies were on the cheerleading squad and a few more stood? How many of you grew up in a wealthy home and a few more stood? He kept asking all these questions to kind of figure out who the cream of the crop was. By the time that he finished, there was about a third of the people in that auditorium who were standing. And he said, I want all of you who are standing to listen very carefully. I have good news for you and I have bad news for you. The good news for you is that God can use you too. The bad news for you is that you're not his first choice. (laughs) Why? Because God delights in using weak things and foolish things to confound the mighty. We're not here tonight, thousands of years later, talking about Leah because she was talented. We're not here talking about her because she was gifted or beautiful. Leah didn't have any great ability to give to God, but what she did have was availability. And I would remind you tonight that God doesn't need ability. He has plenty of ability. What God needs are some people with availability. People who will give Him their broken little lives just as they are and can see what God can do with them. I just came to tell you tonight, God can use you. And don't you ever insult Him by saying that He can't. The great danger is not that you won't do what what someone else can do. The great danger is that you won't do what you can do. God can use you. You know, Abraham was just an idolater. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Peter was a liar. Thomas was a doubter. Paul was a persecutor of the church. D.L. Moody, that great evangelist, only had a fifth grade education. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, was an overweight fat kid who had a depression problem. If God can use all of those guys, then what's your problem? See, if you really believed that God loved you and could use you, it would change everything in your life. It would give you a reason to live. One of the saddest visits I ever made was I was a youth pastor, was to the visit of a young lady, or to the house of a young lady named Alejandra. And to this day, I've never seen such poverty in the United States of America. Her and her family lived in a tumble-down shack. Most nights, they didn't have anything to eat unless our church had helped them some way. Alejandra didn't have a bed. She shared a couch with her younger brother. It is poverty like I had never seen. A few weeks before the visit, Alejandra had made a pact with her friend that they were going to commit suicide together. Her friend was successful. Thank God she was not. She went to the mental ward in JPS Hospital for two weeks. I was unable to see her until she was discharged and she went home. When I got there, her hands were covered with bandages where she had tried to cut her wrist and take her life. When I got there, she was not happy to see me. She gave me that hard look, the look that someone has when they're running from God. And I tried to comfort her and encourage her, and I told you, it's so good to see you, and we've all been praying for you. And oh, Alejandra, don't you know God loves you? She looked at me and she said, Pastor Gillett, with all that I've been through in my life, how could I believe that God loved me? I didn't know what to say. So I said, Alejandro, what would God have to do to prove to you that he really loved you? And she started naming a list of all the things that had gone wrong in her life. She said, if God wanted to show me that he really loved me, here's what he could do. He could bring my grandfather back from the dead because he was the breadwinner of our family and he's been gone for a while. He could get my daddy out of jail. It'd be nice if I had a bed to sleep on. It'd be nice if we had dinner tonight. And by the way, it'd be really nice if he could bring back my best friend who just committed suicide. And with that still, cold expression on her face, she said, if God did those things for me, then I'd believe he loved me. What do you say to something like that? So I just prayed right there and asked God to give me wisdom. 
I said, sweetheart, God is probably not going to do many of those things for you. But what if he did something else? What if God decided to robe himself in human flesh and he came down and he lived in your shack with you? What if he slept on your couch? And what if he missed dinner with you every night? What if he lived with you for a long time and after nothing but doing good for you, you hated him? And you pulled out the hair in his beard and and you put a crown of thorns upon his head and you hung him like a piece of meat to die on an old rugged cross. And what if with his dying breath he prayed, Father, forgive Alejandra because she doesn't know what she's doing. And I said, Alejandra, if God did all of that for you, then would you believe he loved you? And tears were pouring down her face. And she said, yes, Brother Tyler. If God did all that for me, then I would believe God loved me. And then I'd have a reason to live. And I said, oh, sweetheart, he already has. And I don't care how broken you feel tonight. I don't care how used up you feel. I don't care how ugly you feel tonight. The cross is God's once for all demonstration that he loves you. Not just some future version of you. Not the person you dream or hope to be. He loves you tonight just the way you are. And when you believe it, it gives you a reason to live. And when you believe it, you understand that He can use you a broken thing. That He can transform into a beautiful thing. And even your life, like Leah's, could change the world. I just came to tell you tonight that because of Calvary... We all have a beautiful story. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the story of Leah and how it touches my heart every time I tell it. As a red-headed, freckle-faced kid from West Texas, I can identify with feelings of inadequacy. And I'm so glad that you were attracted to our broken little family and that you loved us and changed us in ways that we could hardly imagine and that you're using us. My guess is that there are a lot of people here this evening who sense their inadequacy. Maybe tonight some old wounds have been opened up, some ways that they've been hurt in the past. And for a long time, they believed that because of the pain in their past, you can't possibly love them. That because of the pain in their past, you can't possibly use them. And I pray tonight through their word and the power of your Holy Spirit, they've been convinced otherwise. And Lord, may each and every person in this room give their broken little life to you afresh and anew and believe that you can use us to do amazing things. With every head-